Hey, hey, and welcome to episode 150 of the Yours Truly podcast. My name is Claire Tuning. I am your host. I am also your non-diet registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. This would typically be the point in the intro where I plug my obsession, for lack of a better term, with PB&J, but since it's fall and I'm trying to be festive, I'll let you know that today I am recording with an iced pumpkin latte beside me. I don't care if it's basic. I don't care who knows. It's delicious, and hopefully it's going to make my words come out okay and not too terribly fast in this intro. Actually, uh, I'm looking at my coffee here, and I, I cannot tell a lie. This is not a fresh iced pumpkin latte. This is actually half of a leftover one from yesterday. I don't know if anyone else does this. Actually, I know other people do this because I saw a TikTok one time that this dude made making fun of his girlfriend for always ordering a grande at Starbucks and then inevitably only drinking like half or three quarters of it. And then he had like this montage of just photos of half consumed beverages around their house and that is 1000% me. I always commit to a size that it's a little bit more caffeine than I need. Like I start getting the shakes about halfway through and I tell myself, well, maybe I should back off. So I always end up saving it and then I whip it out usually the following day in the afternoon for some reason. I have something about wanting fresh coffee in the morning, but I'll drink leftover in the afternoon. Anyways, why have I been talking about my coffee habits for a minute and a half? I digress, <laughs> but I'm so glad you're here joining me for episode 150 here on the podcast. If the title of this episode looks familiar, it is because this is a rerun episode. You have probably heard this interview if you've been a listener for over a year now. I am kind of doing a thing whenever I have a, a lull of guest interviews where I rerun some of the most popular episodes that I've done. I figure if I have hundreds of episodes or 150 episodes at this point with a lot of great content, why not bring some of it back, especially if it's on a topic that I get a lot of questions about. I work with many individuals who have PCOS. We'll talk more about what that means in this conversation. So I'm hopeful this will be a useful episode to rerun, but more on that, I'll tell you all about Julie here in a couple of moments, because even though I'm reposting this interview and it's about a year old, I wanted to tack on an intro to this episode that is current. So speaking of things that are current, I have an upcoming fall webinar that I want to share with you, tell you what it's going to be about. And if you want to join us, I'm going to tell you how to do that. So this fall webinar is coming up on Wednesday excuse me, October 20th from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm calling it are you ready for my spooky language? I'm calling it how to break the haunting binge restrict cycle. I put up a, a question box on my Instagram story a couple of weeks ago asking people what topics they would be interested in learning about in the webinar format. And I got a couple of recommendations or a couple of requests rather wanting a conversation about the binge restrict cycle and how to break free from it, as Troy Bolton and Gabriella would say. Uh, but this webinar is for you if you want to stop feeling out of control around food, 
It's also for you if you want to be able to keep your favorite foods and maybe your favorite Halloween candies as well around and in your house without fear of binging on them. And it's also for you if you want to learn three actionable strategies that you can use to stop or to break this haunting cycle in your own life. So it's gonna be a really great mix of some storytelling. I always share some client stories in webinars and it's also gonna be a lot of tactical strategies that you can take and apply to your life and your relationship with food as soon as you log off the webinar. So it is $10 USD to register and that registration fee includes access to the live webinar. Again, it's Wednesday, October 20th from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern. It also includes access to the webinar replay in case you can't make it live. I know a lot of people live in different time zones and have different work schedules, so if you can't tune in with us live, you will be able to watch it on the replay. And even if you are able to hang out with us live and you want to watch it again, you'll have the chance to do that. Uh, and it also includes a copy of a take-home guidebook to help you set goals and take action on what you learn in the webinar. And if you are able to attend live, I also want to let you know that we're going to have a little giveaway going. So if you're there live, you'll be entered in the giveaway where one lucky winner will receive a copy of the fourth edition of Intuitive Eating or any other intuitive eating related book of your choice if you already have that one. And the winner is also gonna get an assortment of yours truly original stickers. So catch us live if you are able. But the link to register is in the show notes of today's episode. So if you wanna come hang out with us on Wednesday, October 20th to learn how to break the haunting binge restrict cycle, please come hang out. If it sounds like I'm out of breath, it's because I am. I, uh, I'm standing up to record this episode. I have a, a desk that's like adjustable. Sometimes I stand, most of the time I sit. And this is the first time I've been recording while standing. And you know like when you stand and you talk, you like move around a little bit. It's making me a little out of breath. Or maybe it's a combination of that and I'm getting to that over-caffeinated stage. One one or two of the explanations is true. But uh, yeah, I hope to see you at our fall webinar very soon. But now what we have to do, we have to, if I can find my correct screen, uh, talk about our Yours Truly Goal Slayer featured post of the week. So this post I'm actually pulling from the archives of our group, much like I'm pulling this interview from the archives of my podcast folder. Um, but I'm pulling this from the archives because this is a post related to PCOS, which is going to be the topic of this conversation between Julie Duffy Dillon and myself. So I'm going to shorten this post a little bit just because it has a lot of detail and it's a little bit long, um, but I'm going to read bits and pieces of it here for you to catch the gist of what individuals who live with PCOS what they struggle with and some of what they, they face, especially in the medical community. I myself do not have PCOS, as Julie will talk about in this conversation as well. She does not live with this either, so both of us really 
hope to learn from all of our clients and all of our followers who have this lived experience. And we really try to take their lead when it comes to what they experience and the uphill battle that they have to face in all of the misinformation that is out there about this condition, especially when that misinformation is unfortunately a lot of the times coming from healthcare providers. So this poster in our community writes, I'm hoping some of you can relate and maybe just offer a little bit of encouragement. I have PCOS and I just left a doctor's appointment in tears again. I'm feeling really frustrated and defeated. And then the poster writes a couple of paragraphs about what's going on and a couple of medical conditions. So I'll skip over that um, kind of to the end of the post here where she wraps up by saying, and just like always, of course, there was mention of my activity level and a low glycemic diet, um, even though the, the provider didn't ask about those things didn't ask you know hey what is your activity level or you know what is your nutrition like this poster is just saying that there was kind of a lecture at the end of the appointment when the provider had no idea what this person's life looked like she continues i just feel really frustrated with my options and i feel stuck do I give in and play by these diet rules, like cutting out carbs and eliminating most of the fun and the joy from food, even though that impacts my mental health? Or do I stick with this route, meaning intuitive eating, to take care of my mental health, even though it's apparently damaging to my reproductive health? Question mark. Isn't there a middle ground? And do I have to choose? So this post, like I said at the top, is... Uh, couple months old, but I am wondering if anyone who is listening to this episode, especially if you are someone who lives with PCOS, if this resonates or if this maybe describes in part a similar situation that you have had in a medical provider's office. If so, that sucks. And I am so sorry to hear that that is the reality that you're facing when it's almost presented as like, you can follow this diet, which side note, we know isn't going to last or be sustainable or supportive for your physical or mental health long-term, or we feel like we have to go completely the other way and there is no other option. So if you're ever someone who has felt torn or confused, or you don't know if there's a way to manage your PCOS without doing some of these crash diets or never eating a carbohydrate again, then you're in the right place. And I am so excited that you're gonna be tuning in for this episode because Julie, I'll tell you a little bit more about her here in a moment, but she is a provider who is so experienced and well-versed in the field of PCOS and working with individuals who have PCOS. And actually, since I recorded this interview with Julie about a year ago, I have had the privilege and the honor of studying under Julie, and I've taken her course on how to be a competent provider when working with clients who have PCOS, and I have learned so, so much. Honestly, when I was taking that course, 
with her or when I was going through it on my own time, it was self-paced, I sometimes felt my head was going to explode, for lack of a better term, with all of the knowledge and the help and the support that she had to offer. So I'm grateful to be able to share some of her with you today. But Julie, I'm going to read a little bit from her bio, is a fat-positive registered dietitian, nutrition therapist, eating disorder specialist, podcaster and author who has been helping people heal their relationship with food for 20 years. She guides her clients on a journey to food peace using non-diet, body-liberating, trauma-informed practices. If you'd like to learn more about Julie and her work, you can find her on Instagram at foodpeacedietitian or on her website at juliedillonrd.com. You can also tune into her incredible podcast, which is called Love Food, wherever you are listening to this or wherever you get your podcasts. In this conversation that I am about to share with you, Julie and I talk about how a non-diet approach can be supportive for those with PCOS and the main things that people who receive a PCOS diagnosis should know and be aware of. And she also shares more about her work with Laura Burns, who is also a previous guest of the show back on episode 106, all about their group uh, PCOS body liberation. They do a lot of cool stuff there as a team. Julie as the healthcare provider, Laura Burns as the yoga instructor, the individual with the lived experience of PCOS. They make a really incredible team. So she'll plug more about their work together and their resources kind of near the end of the episode. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy the rerun of my conversation from last fall with Julie Duffy Dillon. Julie, how are you today? Welcome to the Yours Julie podcast. Hey, Claire. It's so great to be chatting with you. It's so great to be chatting with you. I was telling my partner before we hit record, I had a little bit of like starstruck jitters. I was like, I've been following Julie for ages and now we're going to be talking. So it's really great to have you here. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, before we dive into our questions and talking, of course, more about PCOS, um, I do have some this or that questions for you. So are you ready to play the fun game? I am ready. Okay. First question, very important. Cake or pie? Cake. You didn't even hesitate. No. (laughs) Like 100% cake. Yeah. For sure. (laughs) It's, um, the pie, like, don't get me wrong. I love fruity things, but when it comes to dessert, yeah. I want something chocolatey with frosting and just pie doesn't do that. Well, yeah. And, and actually there is a story behind it. <laughs> when, I, when I was little, I, my older brother loved pie and he always picked having a pie for his birthday instead of a cake. And I would cry and cry because I just hated it. I wanted a cake. So well, yeah. hopefully on your birthday, you got your choice then. Yeah, I did with macaroni and cheese and hot dogs. Like Ooh. that was my meal. What a combo. What a combo. I know, right? <laughs> Um, next one, do you prefer the East Coast or the West Coast? Oh gosh, East Coast. I was gonna say you live on the East Coast. I know. I mean, yeah. I feel like a loyalty. It's, yeah. it's have you, messed up. Have you always been on the East Coast? I have, I grew up in the Midwest, but okay. I've yeah, I've always been like Eastern time zone. But the West Coast, I don't know. There's a part of me that I should have moved there at some point, but it may have just past the time but so maybe one of my kids will move there and so you can go I'll be visit. able to go visit or move there then yeah that's always a good for sure. yeah um next one I guess this one 
it's dine-in or delivery. And I know in, in COVID times, we probably have to lean one way, but let's just pretend COVID wasn't happening. What would you prefer, dine-in or delivery? Dine-in, for okay. sure. Yeah. More of the, more of the experience, the ambiance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I don't have to clean either. Yeah. Oh, true. Didn't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> Very important. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> next one, when it comes to books, do you prefer uh, like a paper in handbook or an ebook? Ebook or well, I say ebook. What I was thinking about is audiobook <laughs> more than anything. I don't know if that's really what you were talking about. Um, but the, with the real book versus ebook, I really don't have a preference. I can use either one. Yeah, I'm with you on the audiobook. Maybe we can add that as a third option. Yeah, I think it's a podcaster thing. Yeah, so. easier to listen to. It's like mm-hmm. speaking of doing dishes or doing laundry, I can yeah. kind of listen and learn and do mm-hmm. the things at the same time, which I like. Yeah. Um, final one here. Are you more of a beach person or a mountain person? Beach. Okay. Yes. I love how decisive you are in so many of your questions. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. And it's also, there's no wrong answer, right? I still yeah. love going to the mountains, but I'm not good with altitude sickness. Um, ask my friends. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've had issues. Um, I have some friends who live in Denver and yeah, when we ever we go to the mountains, there's like a couple days where I'm just not well, but I oh. try every time. <laughs> Yeah. We'll try to keep you at sea level as much I'm a as sea, That's what I said. My people are sea level people. And um, yeah, I think I'm just going to be on the sea level from now on. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with yeah. it. Um, well, thanks for hanging in there with me for our fun this or that segment. My next question, I'm going to bet that anyone logging on to this episode who maybe sees your name in the title maybe isn't a stranger to you or your work, but just before we dive into our questions, would you mind offering just a bit more about who you are and what it is that you do for anyone who's not familiar? Sure. So I'm a registered dietitian. I've been one for over 20 years now, and I also um, am trained as a mental health counselor. So I, um, early on in my career, I found that I just really didn't like teaching people how to diet. And I really didn't know how to continue to be a dietitian. So I kind of like, was like, bye, see you. I'm going to go train and be a counselor. But then um, when I needed a job after getting that training, I found a job that allowed me to do both. And that's when I found that I really liked working with people who were in the throes of an eating disorder. And as I was really getting into working with food behavior and helping people recover, I decided, oh, I'm not going to like help anybody with any like medical issue besides eating disorders anymore. Like I don't want to do anything with that, but people with PCOS kept showing up with eating disorders. And you know, when I looked through how I was trained to help people with PCOS, it was like three sentences in our Krauss book. Mm -hmm. Dietitians who are listening will know what I'm talking about. And (laughs) um, so I was so not prepared. And um, what I ended up finding out is that people with PCOS were like, push so hard to diet and basically we're told, yeah, you basically have to practice an eating disorder in order to like qualify to get access to reproductive medicine or dignity. (laughs) And so um, that really pissed me off. And so I just found myself really wanting more information to help people. And then as I did that, kind of the word started to spread, spread, you know, there's so many people with PCOS and um, friends would tell their friends or their family members, oh, this one person has helped me to manage my PCOS without dieting that, um, I don't know, then it kind of became the specialization that I wasn't expecting. And um, I'm really grateful. I I don't experience PCOS, but um, I I feel like honored to be included in the community. So, um, but it's it's definitely been um, work that I feel really connected to and really proud of. 
Yeah. And I feel like too, when we hear the words PCOS and not dieting in the same sentence, I'm thinking maybe for some people who are listening, who haven't heard you speak, you know, haven't heard about your work, it's maybe like, wow, that's a thing. Like, (laughs) so I would love to dive into that a little bit more, but before we do so, I always want to be very mindful about just kind of checking the boxes, covering all the bases of what is this thing that we're going to be talking about um, in case anyone isn't aware or they don't know so that we're all on the same page moving forward. So PCOS, would you mind just giving your, I don't know if you have an elevator speech, kind of (laughs) describing, you know, what that is, what some of the markers are, how someone might come to be diagnosed, and then we'll kind of go from there. Sure. So uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome is an endocrine disorder that starts in the brain and has reproductive, metabolic, and psychological consequences to it. Um, When people are diagnosed with PCOS, you know, there's probably many people listening who are like, oh yeah, I have that. All I was told when I was diagnosed was like, here's a prescription for birth control, come back when you're trying to get pregnant. That pretty much was everything. And I mean, it was just that's dripping with assumptions, right? Right? Like (laughs) the only like healthcare people need when they have ovaries is to have babies. I'm like, oh my gosh, the misogyny is just outstanding. (laughs) Um, But PCOS is this condition that doesn't start in the ovaries. It's again, it starts in the, in the hypothalamus in the brain and affects just about every cell in the body. It, um, the way the endocrine disorder works, it ends up creating this hormonal imbalance that provokes a set of symptoms that (laughs) it's the thing about PCOS is it's really ambiguous. Like basically to be diagnosed with it, you have to have all these things excluded and then you have it. <laughs> and, um, and people in order to get diagnosed with it, they need to meet criteria for th- two out of three conditions. And one of them is some kind of irregular or absent um, ovulation. So people may notice that they never have a period or it's really irregular or they have really painful periods. There's something funky going on with how they're menstruating. Um, The second one is signs of high androgens um, like testosterone. And that may be through blood work, or it may be because of having more facial hair than is typical or a loss of hair on the head. Um, And then the third one is um, these, I put quotes, nobody else can see this, quotes, cysts on the ovaries. And they're actually not cysts, they're immature follicles, but um, having cysts on the ovaries. And you you only need two out of the three to have polycystic ovarian syndrome. So somebody could have this thing and not actually have cysts on the ovaries. So they really need to change their name because it's misleading, you know? That is misleading. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And there's... um, some really common experiences with PCOS that people experience, um, namely as dietitians, you know, the thing that we often see are these like intense carb cravings. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when I was working with people who were in the throes of an eating disorder, this is something that they really helped me to understand and appreciate as much as I can as someone without PCOS. And these carb cravings are like these primal kind of needs for um, certain foods. And I almost kind of think of it like if we held our breath for a really long time and then we were finally able to breathe, like we were drowning or something, and you make it to the surface, you like gas for air, obviously, not because you're obsessed with air, but because, you know, drowning. And, uh, <laughs> and so people with PCOS will have a similar kind of experience oftentimes with these cravings where it feels like it's like a life or death kind of thing. And um, that happens because uh, most people with PCOS, it's estimated to be 75 to 95% of people with the condition have high insulin levels. 
And that makes the body basically through us, this kind of like complicated physiology, just really, really want to eat something that is like pasta or brownies or bread. And those are the very foods that they're told to cut out because of these high insulin levels. And so when you have high insulin and you're told to cut out these things, it just makes those cravings like, again, really primal. And um, so that's a really big part of the experience. And then other parts, of course, are infertility, having lots of fatigue. Um, mood disorders are really common because, again, it's such in the hypothalamus. So a lot of people have super hard to treat anxiety. Um, I have my anxiety disorder myself. I've worked with lots of people with anxiety and people with PCOS, you have the most exhausting anxiety and I just feel so much for you. <laughs> and um, so um, that's just something that I think is really important to name, like the mood disorder component. It, people can't see it, you know, but it's there. It's real. It's often the first sign that people have too with um, PCOS. So yeah, there's lots of different parts to the condition, but those are the things that a lot of people bring to me in the beginning and they don't always like piece it together to be like, Oh, that's from, my PCOS, you know, I'm like, yeah, they're like, oh, I just thought it was, that was just my period stuff. Yeah. No, it's like all these other things too. Yeah. And something that you mentioned a, a couple of moments ago, you touched briefly on the fact that one thing that people who receive this diagnosis are often encouraged to cut out or very, or to very strictly limit are these carbohydrate containing foods. So that actually kind of brings me to my next question quite nicely, because I know um, something that we see a lot as dietitians is a lot of misinformation mm -hmm. about what this might mean when it comes to how we eat, what kind of behaviors around food that we engage in. So I know there's a, a lot of myth debunking to do when it comes to nutrition science and how it may or may not play a role in PCOS, but maybe if you could speak about maybe one or maybe two of some of the biggest myths that you see being promoted or people with this diagnosis being encouraged to do and why those um, myths or things that they're being encouraged to do aren't necessarily the full truth or they might not, mm -hmm. not actually be helpful for these people in the short term or in the long run. Yeah. So first and foremost, um, the biggest thing that I want to make sure everyone after they're done listening to this, they, they know about PCOS is that a person didn't cause it. Um, I think that's, that's still what the majority of people are hearing from doctors is that they gained weight and that's what caused the PCOS or they ate too much of XYZ and that caused the PCOS and um, that they're to blame for it. And PCOS is genetic, a genetic con condition. It's similar in how it's passed down through families like diabetes. So if you have PCOS and you're like, oh, I don't know anybody in my family with it, I would pause and first of all, just acknowledge like, I mean, right now, not a lot of people talk about periods, but just imagine how little talks about periods were going on um, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, you know, and so people may have had a condition and just didn't want to share it because there's so much shame with it. And of course, you know, um, periods, you know, people are like, oh, we shouldn't talk about that. Oh, bad um, <laughs> and so, yeah, like it's, it's definitely something that is passed down through families and you didn't cause it. It's something that just happens. There's um, some environmental connections to it, but not in any way like a person ate too much or gained too much weight or something like that to cause it. And then the other side of that, the flip side of that is um, that by um, lowering your weight or controlling your weight or losing weight um, does not cure it. It's not um, something that 
long-term has been found to be a way to actually treat this condition. There were, um, this, there was this huge report published in 2018, these evidence-based guidelines for PCOS. And in there, they even state there is no diet that has been found to help people with PCOS um, to be able to promote health and is sustainable. Zero. <laughs> but unfortunately, they went on to say, so just pick anyone. It's like ridiculous. Like, why are you so married to this idea? Like, can we just say there isn't one, at least for right now, and let's just go into these other options? So, so there's that, you know, that we don't have any way, um, we don't have any data to support it. And so, and then the other part of it is like PCOS like has every size to it. Like a person can be any size with PCOS. So if weight doesn't cause it, changing weight isn't going to cure it. There is no cure for it. So, um, and I think the last thing about it has to do with, um, just the focus on fertility with PCOS. Um, that is something that, um, you know, OBGYNs are a wonderful resource in that they are often the people who are able to diagnose PCOS. So I'm really, I'm really uh, grateful for that, but it's also the, the only focus then. And there are all these other sides to it again, like the psychological sides, the metabolic sides that make living with PCOS really challenging. And people are just given like, again, like I said earlier, here's a pill, come back when you're trying to get pregnant. Like, what about the rest of your, the cells in your body? Yeah. <laughs> like, um, it, there's like so many different things to do and to, to notice and to teach. And, um, you know, unfortunately we don't have a lot of information about PCOS and like how to treat it for as many people who have it. We just don't have that much, uh, enough information. And so I know a lot of times when I read research articles, there's often this like pause, like, should we even tell people they have this condition if we don't know how to treat it? Which again, I'm like, there's like this theme of misogyny within PCOS that really irritates me. Mm -hmm. Like, no, knowledge is power. Like I want everybody to know if they have a condition, whether or not they know what to do with it, you know? Yeah. Um, Cause it does affect so many parts and it, and knowing how it affects your body and how it's not your fault, I think can be really powerful to help you just to know what you need. And um, yeah, to know like what the baseline is and to, to seek out the options that you want to seek out. Mm -hmm. And something too, you mentioned this a few minutes ago when you were talking about, I think you, you called it a report that came out um, on, mm -hmm. you know, how we educate on this. And the, the really interesting piece in the report was there is no diet or a dietary approach that is healthy or sustainable for the long term. And then I kind of laughed alongside you and you were like, so they conclude to just pick any of them, right? We don't have one, so just pick one. But I am kind of curious to explore because I know your approach aligns with, you know, the non-diet approach, intuitive eating. So I am curious to explore a bit with you how that approach of not choosing one of the diets, of not going down that rabbit hole can be supportive and helpful um, for people maybe with PCOS in, again, not only the short term, but the long run as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the unfortunate side of PCOS care right now is that, um, weight loss interventions are the primary way to treat it, even though the evidence doesn't support it. And, um, you know, we don't, that's actually like what we see with 
people outside of PCOS too, right? Like there's no diet that's been found to be sustainable, health promoting without harm for the majority of people, period. So it's like, that's consistent with other data. Mm -hmm. And so the non-diet approach with PCOS is definitely an option. And it's something that a lot of people are surprised is even an option because they've been told that they have to diet if they want to have kids someday, or they have to diet if they want to be able to have, I don't know, be able to, um, control their cravings or they have to diet if they want to be able to, um, sleep at night like, to do, to manage these symptoms. Yeah. And, um, this, the thing that we, we know from this data is that basically doing that type of cycling of having to diet and trying to diet in the end makes two parts of PCOS worse. Um, I mentioned earlier the insulin levels that is common with people with PCOS what the long-term data is showing for the general population. We don't have this data for people with PCOS, but for the general population, long-term diet research is um, finding that it is making insulin levels higher, uh, which is not good for PCOS. <laughs> and then, because um, I, I didn't really say why, but like besides the cravings, the higher insulin levels is a part of why people are not having regular periods. It further increases the um, testosterone and other androgens it leads to um, lower immunity because it has lower vitamin D levels. Like there's other things that happen that's not positive with insulin being higher. So, and then the other part is that um, chronic dieting also increases inflammation and inflammation I appreciate as a super buzzword in diet culture. You know, it's like, oh, I can't eat that. It's so inflammatory. And I always want to make sure people know like every food is inflammatory. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> it's just that um, researchers have found that people with PCOS have chronic inflammation, which, you know, it, basically that means the body has to work extra hard to heal all the like nicks and scratches and um, rust that are occurring just from breathing and um, eating food, whatever food that is, um, whether it's kale or chocolate cake, you know, there's going to be um, uh, inflammation from it. And so when people have the hormonal imbalance with PCOS, it has to work so much harder. That's why people will often tell me how tired they are all the time with their PCOS. I think it's because of the inflammation. But long story short, what we know with um, dieting is that it makes inflammation worse. Um, there's actually a causal relationship with that. And what we, why that's a problem is inflammation is connected to, to disease like diabetes. And diabetes in PCOS land is like, it's used as a weapon, honestly, to, to scare people into conforming, losing weight, cutting out certain foods. And um, it's really problematic. And, you know, I, I have a strong family history of uh, diabetes and um, three out of the four of my grandparents lived into their late nineties mm -hmm. with diabetes. Um, the other one lived to 85. So, um, and um, the, why I say that because diabetes is something that, yeah, we don't want it. And um, as we live longer, it's something that most of us are going to get at some point if we're lucky enough to live into our nineties. And so anyway, diabetes, uh, I do think is used as a weapon. And if that's something that someone is concerned about helping to lower inflammation and insulin levels is going to help prevent or prolong the, the chance of getting uh, diabetes. So now I'm like, even forgetting your original question, but basically like, Oh, what's the non-diet uh -huh. approach? Basically yeah. like, you know, the, the thing about it is that if we can help people with PCOS to 
feel more okay and safe in their body, uh, which is a big part of non-diet work is like trusting your body, which, you know, trusting one's body when they've been told it's wrong is a really big ask, you know? So there's, there needs to be time and trauma work there to help with that part, but helping people with PCOS to be in their body and to let their body um, lead how they're going to eat, like let themselves be the expert of their body. Um, and then having some tools that, that they know can help lower inflammation and insulin just to feel like, I don't know, just like everybody else is feeling basically <laughs> who don't have high insulin levels. Um, doing those two things is something that I'm seeing improve ovulation. It's helping people to manage their cholesterol panel. It's doing all these things that um, improving sleep, you know, things that people are always using as we have to cut out carbs or cut out sugar, or eat less or lose weight or whatever. Um, you don't have to do that. You don't have to torture yourself to be able to, you know, be able to manage some of these symptoms with PCOS. And, um, you know, there isn't like evidence-based practice on this area at this point. Um, but I do have 20 years of practice-based evidence on my, behind me, you know, to be like, I don't know if it's going to work for each individual person, but this is what the people before you have experimented with. And this is what helped them. And let me know what helps you, if any of it. And I think it's important to, to just like let people be the expert again, instead of taking that away. So, yeah. and kind of a, a common theme that I'm hearing throughout you describing this is almost focusing on more of the behavior side. And also you didn't say this exactly, but something that's coming to my mind is kind of this question of what can I add to support my body, to support my mindset, to support how I feel in my body versus what do I have to cut out or what do I have to take away? Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you were using examples with sleep or with, you know, stress management or all of these things that, you know, aren't so focused in on pointing the finger at a certain food and saying, you're awful for eating that, or you can never have it again. And in my mind, kind of the approach that you're describing to me, it sounds a lot more compassionate first and foremost, and it sounds a lot more sustainable when we're looking at, you know, the long term. And I can imagine, as you were saying with PCOS, that's really important to look at because you said earlier, there is no known mm -hmm. cure. So I can imagine looking at the sustainability of a certain approach is probably a, a really important piece of that. Would that be kind of in alignment with what you were saying? For sure. For sure. And that's, it's a really sad part of PCOS care is expecting people to torture their body with like omitting carbs and not being able to participate in a lot of like food rituals that we all have with like funerals and birthday parties, weddings, like there's food there that are usually carbohydrates are my, people are just not supposed to have those ever again. Um, and yeah, there's, there's other ways to do this. And it is basically, I mean, I, I know this sounds kind of silly, but it's like, it's, it's treating people like humans instead of robots. And, um, and there is, there's going to be the random person who's able to cut out carbs or sugar or whatever, and it's going to feel great. They're going to be able to do it long, a long time. Um, but for most people, that's just not something that feels like it's going to work forever. And um, there's another option. I mean, it's, there's, it's nice to know that there are other options to do it. And um, I definitely use the more of the like nutrition therapy method of like, what can we add instead of take away? Mm -hmm. and, and through and through, it's because you don't have to take anything away. Um, it's really not 
I, I just don't think it's effective. And again, there's going to be some random people who are able to do that. But for most people, they're going to find that long term, um, what can I add to my breakfast to help me feel like I satisfied to have energy throughout the morning till lunchtime and to not have these cravings that are distracting. All you need to do is um, figure out what you're going to add to it in order to do it. And then also like, I'm a big fan of like medication or supplements, like use things that we know in medicine um, that can help that it doesn't have to all come through from like a salad bowl or something, you know, we can, we can use those. And especially for people with PCOS who have really high insulin levels, there's, I've, I've heard of some healthcare providers who are, will say like, once you get to XYZ weight, then I'm going to offer metformin or um, other medications in order for you to manage this condition, which really is unfortunate to me because um, there's tools to help bring down insulin levels, which then make it so much more, um, I don't know, people just feel more at home in their skin. They don't feel as like, oh my gosh, like those primal cravings all the time. So then food ends up being more um, what as dietitians we often think of as, as quote healthy is like, there's lots of variety, you know, um, that happens as insulin levels come down, like the, because as humans, we're, we're like, we're typically going to be um, craving a variety of foods. That's just what happens um, when we have unconditional permission to eat and access to enough food, mm-hmm. you know, that's just what ends up happening for us. And when we, people with PCOS get the tools they need to help either through medicine or supplements or both, I find that just happens without having really to like yank anything out, which again, I don't think works anyway. So (laughs) yeah, Yeah. I think too, coming from that, like, what can I add in? Maybe it is a food, maybe it is a medicine, right? I like how you were very neutral and saying, yeah, food can be a part of it. And so can these other things too, Mm -hmm. right? I've seen a lot of content that almost demonizes in a way like, mm-hmm. like oh if you can't get all of that through food I'm like what a burden that is right that's like a, yeah. a really big thing to have to to process that you know is, am I not good enough because I'm not getting all of this through food it's bad if I turn to that but um I I too think just that what can I add mentality for most people at least doesn't trigger that restrictive mindset that can sometimes turn into more of a downward spiral. So I I really appreciate that you said that both on the medication and the what can I add mentality. Um, One more question that's coming to my mind before we kind of move to the end of our conversation here. I could keep you for hours, (laughs) but I'll stay too. (laughs) Um, One thing that's coming to my mind, I know you said earlier, if, you know, people could leave this conversation knowing one thing, I believe you said, you know, it's not your fault. This isn't something that you brought upon yourself. But I'm wondering in all of your years of practice and experience in working with individuals who have this condition, who have received this diagnosis, is there any other maybe like one or two things that you would really like people to know or to keep in mind if they receive this diagnosis, if maybe they have friends or family members who have just kind of like main takeaways, things to keep in mind, if you will. Yes. Um, I think um, it's really important to know that um, you can be the expert of your body, even if you aren't really sure about next steps. And if you're not getting the support you need, um, it's okay to fire a doctor <laughs> or a dietitian or another healthcare provider. And I also appreciate saying that it comes from privilege too, because not everyone's going to be able to do that. But um, it is okay to do that if you're not getting the support you need. Um, I also think it's important to, let me think of some other things that are really um, 
some other takeaways I would say. Um, okay. So another one I think about is boundaries. So people with PCOS, um, if I could stereotype, seem to work so hard <laughs> and try really hard um, and are excel at so many things in life, um, are powerhouses in, in their area of expertise and can often like push through pain like people without PCOS probably just can't even appreciate. I know I can't. And at times what ends up happening is a lot of times people then don't get the rest they need. They don't stop and eat when they're hungry. They can just keep pushing through it. And what I have found is for many people with PCOS, they need to end up having more specific kind of firm boundaries to help with their self-care. I think um, um, something I didn't mention was that uh, most people with PCOS also have a sleep disorder. It's estimated about 75% of people with PCOS have one. And what comes with that is for some people, they just need more sleep. They need more time kind of like getting to a place where they're settled. They need more time away from screens in order to have good sleep, um, like circadian rhythms and all that to get in deep enough sleep. And what that ends up needing then is rest, like, um, and then having boundaries for that rest. And when we start having boundaries in that area, it probably is going to come up in other areas too. Like, oh yeah, I actually need to stop and eat my lunch. Um, I don't, I can't just keep pushing through to get this other project done that people are expecting. I need to like make this boundary for myself. And um, I think because people with PCOS are able to push so hard and, and, and get so many things done that the dynamics shift in a lot of relationships just to expect that. So that can be really hard to be like, all right, I need to kind of change things around here to get my needs met. But um, that's something that I wish was like there was more permission for boundaries and rest and space and um, a lot more time for self-care. You know, all that hormonal imbalance that we were talking about, again, that's like exhausting on your body. And so you're going to need more rest in order for your body just to recover from that. Um, and I wish there was some magic wand where the world just appreciated that and understood, but um, I don't know, all of us can come together and try to fix that <laughs> so they can't understand it. <laughs> I, that would be uh, incredible if you, if you had that magic wand. And I don't, I don't yeah. think you would be a dietitian if you had that magic wand. <laughs> you would yeah. probably need them in town in different other places. But I love those <laughs> reminders of self-care, of setting boundaries, of you know finding a healthcare provider, at least to the extent that one is able, who will listen, who will actually offer supportive and helpful recommendations. And there was one other one that you mentioned that, oh, um, it's not your fault in the mm -hmm. beginning. That was the, the kind of one that we started off with. So um, as we kind of get to the end of our conversation here, I will have you in a moment, Julie, plug where people can find you, how they can learn more from you. But I, I would love for you to share just briefly, if you wouldn't mind, um, a little bit about your work with Laura Burns. And for anyone who is maybe new to the podcast, she was actually a guest on episode 106. Um, but you and she are working on something, correct me if I have the name wrong, but PCOS by liberation. Am I correct that's, there? That's right. That is. Okay. So would yeah. you mind just sharing about that a little bit? Sure. So, um, you know, the last 20 plus years working with individuals with PCOS, um, something that I saw as a common theme is that every one of my clients felt so much shame for their condition and felt isolated. 
And I would always tell people, and if anyone's listening who has been a client of mine, you're going to be like, she really did tell everyone this. Um, like, I'm like, if you could just be a fly on my wall for my other clients and there was no HIPAA and you would hear everyone saying what you're saying right now, like, this is what all my clients with PCOS are experiencing. Like, I wish I could take away that shame that is just wrapped so tightly around you because um, it's isolating you. And if y'all could come together, I think we can make some changes and also help you regain your power. You know, um, I think shame and isolation takes that away. It takes power away from people. And so I, you know, after a while, after I was working with clients for a long time, I developed a course and Laura Burns was someone who was like, started my course program in the first group, like three years ago, I think now. And we clicked right away and she had told me, which I, I know she shared with you too, like how her experience getting diagnosed, how shameful it was and how paralyzing. And um, we basically stayed in touch and she, she caught me in the beginning of January of 2020, like the only good thing that came out of 2020 <laughs> was Laura Burns called me and said, Hey, do you want to work on something new with me? And I was like, I will do anything with you, Laura, because like she makes such great, um, she has such great things that she puts together, great programs, great community building. And um, we started talking about making a community to help people come together. And it's really this PCOS Body Liberation community. Um, it's a place where people can find support. Um, and, you know, there's, there's people like me who in there, um, I'm actually the only p person without PCOS in there. So <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's always such an honor to be like, thank you for letting me hang out with y'all. And so I share some of my food peace lessons and things that I've learned along the way. And, um, and Laura helps with, um, you know, Laura, as you've all heard is a yoga teacher and um, her lived experience with PCOS teaches some things about embodiment. And then we just really help the community come together. And that's the thing that Laura and I, when we were talking about how to build it, we're like, we just want to build a community and get out of the way. Like let people come together and make what they need in the PCOS world. And as we get together, we have all these different types of like, like book clubs and crafternoons and mug chats and things that we get together and chat. And what's happening is we're like, we have all these ideas to like, how to like improve medical care. Like what do we need to put out there? And I'm like, this, this is going to change things. That's, it makes me so excited. I almost could cry. Like it makes me so happy because this is how change happens is people who have been isolated come together and they're like, Oh wait, no, <laughs> we're going to make this different. And um, yeah, so that's what, that's what we're doing. And um, it's really neat. It's still in its beginning phases, but it's, um, been really fun. And, um, one of my favorite things again about 2020, we're really the only thing <laughs> that's been good about 2020. <laughs> and that's so cool too. I, I love that you all kind of came together and you had this idea and I love how you framed it a couple of seconds ago. It's like, we just need to connect people, like be the people mm -hmm. who allow the community to come together and then we can get out of the way and kind of let the crowdsourcing and the brainstorming happen. Mm -hmm. Like what a great place for people to be, or it's like everyone has a say and a voice and there's- Oh yeah. Yeah. Experience. That's really awesome how you phrase that. Yeah. That's definitely how I, like, I know for me, like, and as a dietitian without PCOS with lots of uh, intersectional privilege, like mm -hmm. I'm not going to have, I'm not going to know what people need. And so, yeah, I definitely feel this need to like, I need to step out of the way. Like I want to connect people and lift them up and then yeah, stay out of the way. <laughs> the, fact, the fact too, that you said, uh, crafternoons that really caught my attention. <laughs> 
I can always appreciate a good uh, pun or a play on words. So it sounds like a... That's all Laura. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not surprised after talking with her in her interview. It's like, I love the humor, the wittiness of yeah, she's very witty. Yeah, that craft afternoon is all her idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a, a cross stitcher myself. So any type of craft afternoon, I'm there for. But um, awesome. <laughs> really, it has been so wonderful getting to speak with you, getting to, to learn from you. I told you before we even hit record that I sometimes selfishly love doing podcasts, mm-hmm. of course, to, to share and to, you know, give other individuals a platform, but also just to connect and to learn. And it's been a pleasure connecting with you. So um, I think it's fair to say that everything you just referenced about the PCOS Body Liberation Group, that could be a way that individuals can connect with you and Laura as well, learn more about you. But if anyone is just, you know, where can I find more about Julie, some of her Mm -hmm. other work, where are the best places for people to connect with you? Well, since you're listening to a podcast right now, I have a podcast that's for people with and without PCOS called Love Food. So if you have a complicated relationship with food, it's for you. So you can listen to those podcasts there. And if you want to find out anything else about me, go to my website, juliedillonrd.com. And then I'm also on Instagram at Food Peace Dietitian. So that's where you'll find me all the places. (laughs) I have to say for anyone who has not listened to your podcast, I love the format so much. Like just the idea of someone writes a letter to food, food responds. It just makes me smile every time. Oh, thank you. you, um, Was that like a shower idea one night? I feel like that has- For sure. A shower idea. Yes. Yes, for (laughs) sure. It was not, because I actually, I moved my office, um, uh, a few months ago. And so I was going through some papers to like figure out what I need to throw away. And I found like my first like brainstorm on my podcast yeah. and like over five years ago now. And, and it, it wasn't that it wasn't the letters. It was just like topics. And so, um, yeah, it was a shower idea. I think I was a walking and listening to a podcast when I kind of came up with it. Yeah. One of those places where, um, great ideas seem to befall us. For yes, time. exactly. <laughs> Well, again, Julie, thank you so much for your time, for being here, for the listeners of our show. I am so hopeful. I'm not even hopeful. I just know that they got something out of this conversation. So thank you so much again for being here. I have a little sign off that I always do at the end of a podcast. It's kind of like we're signing a letter almost in a way. So I'll say uh, yours, Julie, Claire, and Julie. And that's a wrap for episode 150 here on the Yours Truly podcast, our rerun from our conversation last fall with the incredible Julie Duffy Dillon. I hope you gained a lot from this episode, whether it was your first time listening to it or whether it was a recap from last year. But as always, if you enjoy today's episode or anything else that I share here on the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you could take five seconds, a minute, whatever time you you have to tap those five stars and leave a positive review of the show. That is the best way to help the show grow and have more individuals find it. If you are not listening on Apple Podcasts where you tap the stars and leave the review, if you're on Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever else you might be. You can always share the show by taking a screenshot and putting it on social somewhere. You can always tag me at Claire Tuning. You can also text that screenshot to a friend, a family member, your dog if they have a phone. I don't know. Anyone who you think could benefit from listening to this conversation. But that is all I have for you here today. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of time here with Julie and I. And until next Wednesday, take care.